Our scripture reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 to 22. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and, above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the house of Anasiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudius, and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sherry, for, for reading that passage. It's almost like a, almost like a trick. Um, when, when somebody signs up to read scripture, they don't always know they're going to get all the names and have to pronounce all the names. Um, but Sherry is the person that I want doing that because she killed it. Good job. Good job. All right. So this is one of those passages that you find sometimes in, in Paul's epistles and other places in the New Testament where it's at the beginning of a letter or the end of a letter where there's a bunch of names, a bunch of people. And you may come to these passages of scripture and wonder, what's this for? Why is this in the canon of scripture? Why is this considered to be part of God's holy word to his people? In this particular letter, this is 2 Timothy, the end of 2 Timothy, and we have to remember that this is a personal correspondence that's happening between Paul and a young pastor that he's mentoring, his protege, Timothy. And so it's a personal letter, but one of the things that you start to see when all these names get brought up is you start to see that the body of Christ is this community of people that some are together and some are in other places, and some are in different parts of the world, and some have relationships where we're really close, mentoring relationships, some are friendships, some are relationships that have been through rough patches, some are relationships that are, that are, um, that are difficult to navigate, some of them are things that have exposed uh, fracturing in the church, and yet on this Sunday, which is our kind of fall kickoff, are getting into this season, this new season, because we kind of operate on a, uh, you know, a, a 
fall, spring, summer sort of schedule, semester, semester, summer schedule. We remember that the church is this place where people invest years of their lives, sometimes the rest of their lives in a particular community. Like I see you, I see almost all of you more than I see my mother. Because she lives in South Carolina and she comes and visits, but you're the people that I see week in and week out at church. And church is kind of funny about that. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful part of the gift of the body of Christ, is that we have these ongoing regular relationships with each other where we get to know each other, and we know the joys that happen in each other's lives and some of the sorrows as well, and we walk through them. And Christ calls us to this. He calls us to be people who have a role in shaping one another's lives through being in the body of Christ and caring uh, what the body of caring about what the body of Christ is for, specifically prizing truth together, honoring God together, exalting Christ together as one body made up of many parts. And so, one of the unique features of Second Timothy is this number of first names that Paul includes. And what we get here is we get a picture into the community of faith that he's a part of. And so what I want to do with those names that Sherry so ably read for us is I want to extract from these people's stories some of the prayers that I have for us as a church. We're almost four years old now as a congregation. And there are some things that I pray for our church that we might live purposeful lives together, worshiping the Lord together, connecting with one another, serving the city together, and that we would do this potentially for decades together or until the Lord returns, whichever comes first. And so drawing from the text, I want to give you some prayers that I have for this congregation. There are seven of them, seven prayers. They're going to go quickly, but I have seven of them, okay? The first is this, prayer number one is that We would seek relationships with each other even if we feel that we have little to offer. And I get this from the mention of Onesiphorus here. Paul greets Onesiphorus' household in this passage. But earlier in 2 Timothy 1, he talks about Onesiphorus again. And one of the things that he says to Timothy is he says, Onesiphorus often refreshed me and he wasn't ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly, and he found me. And the picture that you're getting here is Onesiphorus was a friend to Paul. He couldn't change Paul's situation. He couldn't get Paul released from prison. But what he could do is he could be his friend. The thing that people might have looked at Paul and said, the thing you need most is to be set free from your chains. Onesiphorus couldn't give him that. But what he did is he searched for him, and it was a risk to be a friend of the Apostle Paul's, somebody who was in jail a lot for preaching the gospel. Sometimes you and I might doubt that we have much to contribute. We might doubt that we have much to give one another. But one of the reasons why we have things like women's ministry and men's ministry and student ministry and city groups and worship teams and connect groups. One of the reasons why we have these things is because we really never know all that we have to offer one another. Because sometimes the way life goes, 
We just end up in the right place at the right time to care for people in very unique and specific ways because that's the kindness of God. And one of the things that you see as Paul talks about Onesiphorus is you see, even though this friend of his couldn't get him out of jail, Paul loved him. Deep affection for this friend. He was a balm to his heart. And so I pray that we would invest in relationships here in this church even if all we really feel like we have to give is the assurance that we love each other and that we aren't ashamed of each other. So that's the first prayer, that we would seek relationships even if we feel we have little to offer. Second, is that the love of Christ would join our hearts in such a way that they would move us through rifts that occur between us in the church. Because guess what? In the body of Christ, sometimes we get sideways with each other. Some of you may feel sideways with me right now, and if you you do, I'd love to know about that. But this happens. It happens as a part of the body of Christ, right? There was a time, and what I'm referring to here is Paul's mention of Mark. There was a time when Paul and Mark were traveling together on a missionary journey. And then Paul got sideways with Mark, and we know why. In Acts, Paul and Barnabas parted ways over Mark. See, they had been traveling together on this missionary journey, and Mark bailed in the middle of the missionary journey. And the way Paul talked about it uh, in the book of Acts and the way Paul talked about Mark was that he wasn't really a, he didn't consider him to be a reliable companion in the next missionary journey, which was going to be only more dangerous than the first one. And so he told Barnabas, Mark's cousin, he's not coming with us. And so Barnabas had a choice to make. Who's he going to be with then? Is he going to stick with Paul or is he going to go be with his cousin Mark? And he chose Mark. But here in this text, what we see is that bumps in the road relationally like this, they don't have to define that relationship forever anymore. We can move past these rifts. We can, we can do this in a way that is not just what we tend to do in a culture like ours, and that is to just kind of not address it and settle into what we might call a distanced civility. You know, I'll acknowledge you from across the room, and I try not to be ice cold when I'm around you, but our friendship's kind of dead in the water. What's Paul want here? He wants Mark. He wants Mark to join him. Why? Because he says he's useful to me in ministry, as a ministry companion. What does that tell us? It tells us that Mark has grown to show his commitment to gospel ministry. It also tells us that maybe Paul has also grown a little in his ability to have a softer touch with his friendships. It's not explicit in the text, and yet at the same time, the Paul that we met earlier when he was talking about Mark was like, he's done. And now he's like, no, he's useful. I want him back. Naming Mark here shows that Paul sees little distinction between his friendship with Mark and his co-laboring with Mark, that the ministry of Christ forms a bond between us that is stronger than the bumps in the road that we encounter. It wasn't safe to be Paul's friend. And he knew that Mark would come if he was asked, which speaks to Mark's character. Paul didn't ever demand that his friendships consist only of those people who understood him 
or liked what he liked. But being united in Christ was enough. It was enough to join their hearts together. Sometimes we're going to get sideways with each other. Grace, grace for one another. May the love of Christ join our hearts to move us past the rifts that we experience. So that's prayer number two, that the love of Christ would join our hearts in such a way that it would move us through and past rifts that happen between us. Number three, that we would become unforgettable sources of strength to each other. That something would well up inside of us with joy when we see each other after time not spent together. And here I'm referring to what we see in verse 19, Paul's reference to Priscilla and Aquila. Oh, Priscilla and Aquila. These people were old friends of Paul's, people that he met on his second missionary journey when he arrived in Corinth. He got there, he was alone, he was broke, and he met these two and started working with them as in, in their tent-making business, and they heard the gospel, they believed, and they started ministering together. And then Timothy joined them, and after they'd spent some time in Corinth, they went out, and they were headed toward Antioch, and on their way, they stopped in Ephesus to care for the church there, and they perceived this church here in Ephesus needs, needs some extended pastoral care. And so Priscilla and Aquila stayed there. They stayed in Ephesus as Paul went on. And now where do we find these two? We find them still there. We find them still there where Paul had left them. You know people like this. If you're part of the church, you have an experience like this. You have folks in your life that you used to worship with, and maybe you've moved on to a different city or a different place or a different set of circumstances, or they have. But when you get updates, what you hear and what you see, it doesn't surprise you at all, is that they're still fixtures in the church. They're still blooming where the Lord has planted them. And these are the kind of people that in my own life I feel like I always have with me. You know, they're the people who invited us over to dinner when we were in the kids in diapers stage. The people who were a decade older than us and would take me to coffee. Uh, the people who took interest in what I was doing, even though they were way past the season of life that I was in. They walked with me, just knowing that they're there, knowing that they'll take my call, gave me strength and still does. There's still people I know in St. Louis, Kansas City, Indiana who, if I need them, they're there. I know that. Let's be that sort of people for each other. It's a long vision of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. Let's never become too busy or too guarded to come alongside people. But instead, pray that we would be the kind of people that would be remembered by those who go out from here as people who just have legacies of encouragement by the grace of Christ. So that's prayer number three, that we would become unforgettable sources of strength to one another. Prayer number four, that we would view our local immediate community as a subset of a global eternal community. So that we would view Christ Prez Cool Springs as a subset of the global eternal body of Christ at large, down through time. And here I'm referring to verse 21. You have the names Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, and Claudia. Eubulus felt for Timothy, and Pudens and Linus and Claudia 
believers who were close to Paul, he, sorry, Eubulus felt for Timothy as Paul felt for Priscilla and Aquila, that he was a person who was invested in his life. And so he greets Timothy and Pudens, Linus and Claudia, who are these believers who are close to Paul, and they greet the entire church in Ephesus. It could be that they knew the believers there, and that's why they send the greeting, that they're friends and they're saying, hey, tell our friends there. It also could be, though, that these who are sending these greetings to the church are sending these greetings because they understand that they're part of the body of Christ at large, that they're connected to each other because they're family in Jesus Christ. In other words, Christ Prez Cool Springs, if this is your church home, that we have a fraternal relationship with all Bible-believing churches. They're our brothers and sisters. We're not in competition with any other church in this city. When we speak of churches, both local churches and churches from around the world, we're speaking of our own people. We're speaking of our own family in Christ. How can we be healthy if our attitude toward our own family in Christ is one of competition, comparison, superiority, what I do is I pray that we, as a local church, would view our local immediate community as a subset of a global, eternal one. That's healthy for us. Prayer number five, that if, if we must oppose people, that we would oppose them because the gospel itself is at stake. It's, it's so easy right now to just declare to the, you know, the ether the things that we're for, the things that we're against, the people we support, the people we don't like. We should be careful in how we do that. And we should understand that if we're being vocal, about those we oppose, that the stakes should be very high, very high. What am I referring to here? Well, <laughs> Paul talks about Demas, and he talks about Alexander, and in chapter 1, he talks about Philegius and Hermogenes, and chapter 2, he talks about Hymenaeus and Philetus, and all of these people. He's telling Timothy, watch out for them. Bad news, bad news. Demas, Philegius, and Hermogenes were men who were with Paul at one point, but then they abandoned him. Now, we have to remember this is a personal letter. So we're reading this as Paul is writing to an individual, not to the church at large. So it wasn't initially intended to be read aloud to the entire congregation, though later it would be, as we've read it here today. But what's happening is Paul isn't publicly exposing these men to just whoever, but he's warning Timothy about them. And the reason he's doing it is because these people turn from Paul, causing great harm to him and his ministry, even possibly his arrest. And Paul wants Timothy to be aware. Now, we have to remember what Paul's main charge to Timothy was. And his main charge to Timothy was guard the gospel. Timothy, as a pastor, guard the gospel by preaching the word of God. We are permitted to oppose people but only if they meet certain qualifications, okay? And so here's the criteria that we get from Paul in this letter. 
And all four of the criteria have to be met, and they, they build on one another. Criteria number one, we're permitted to oppose people who proclaim a false gospel. But we're permitted to oppose people who proclaim a false gospel because they mean to proclaim a false gospel. And it's not just that they mean to proclaim a false gospel, but number three, they won't submit when confronted about proclaiming a false gospel because they mean to proclaim a false gospel. And then fourth, they intend to keep proclaiming a false gospel even when confronted about it because it is what they intend to do. Paul says, oppose that with vigor. Be public about that. Name names if you have to, for the sake of the health of the body of Christ. These we should oppose, even naming names if we have to, for the safety of the congregation. The flip side of this, what's the flip side of this? The flip side of this is unless it rises to that level of danger, we really don't have any grounds for ongoing public opposition to members of the church. And so let's be careful, let's be judicious, let's be wise, let's be humble in the ways that we publicly oppose and make sure that our opposition is not just as much a violation to the integrity of the gospel as the people that we're claiming to oppose because of our lack of charity and love. But if the gospel's at stake, then by all means. That's a fun one. Let's move on from that one. To prayer number six, that we would invest our faith knowing that it is not our property. Here's a reference to Timothy and Lois and Eunice, who are mentioned earlier in this letter, but they're a part of it. Remember whose name is on this letter, Timothy. Remember, Timothy has a mother and a grandmother named Lois and Eunice. And Lois and Eunice are people that are a part of Timothy's legacy of faith. Paul cares deeply for all of them. He has affection for them. He has a clear sense that what the Lord began in Timothy's mother and grandmother, he's continuing on in Timothy as Timothy is shepherding and caring for this church. Timothy possesses this legacy of faith that has been given to him. It's been handed down to him. And Paul is contending for Timothy to not only hold on to it, but to grow in maturity and strength and to give it away to invest the faith that's been invested in him into others. He's been given this deposit to guard the gospel, to invest and to employ for solid returns. And here we just have this other humble reminder that our faith doesn't ultimately belong to us. It's something that comes to us but is meant to pass through us. We talk about it as we're, we're intended to be Christians in public, that if you're a Christian, people should know that you're a Christian. Not because you're always hitting people over the head with dogmatism, but it should be the most important thing people can know about you, is that you have this relationship with Jesus and it is the center of everything. Sometimes we're the first in our family to believe. Sometimes we're not the first in our family to believe, but we're, we're coming late in that process. But regardless, all who come to faith are brought there by God, often through others, through the testimony of others. Almost every time he uses his people as the means by which we all hear, even as he himself opens our ears and gives us the capacity 
to believe. So pour out your faith, invest. An aside that I'll make about this that's not in my notes is there, I have people in my life, you, you might, I'm sure you do too, where what I want more than anything in the world is for them to hear the gospel from me and to believe it. And I have people in my life that, that just based on almost every story I know about how people come to faith, I don't know if my voice will be the one that will do that. I don't know if my voice will be the one to reach. But when I think about my own story, I think it's the unlikeliest voices. It's the ones you don't even really think exist that come into your life at a particular time where the Lord just uses them to speak truth. And he does this warming of the heart, this awakening of the soul by his mercy and his grace. And I say this to you to say, you don't know if that's you. But that may be something the Lord is using you to do. The Lord may be using you to answer decades of earnest, on-our-knees prayers for people that we love to hear the gospel. Never underestimate what the Lord can do. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians that the Lord is always doing immeasurably more than we ask or think. Believe that. Prayer number seven, finally, is that we would stay in the church or move on from a particular local church with purpose. We would plant our feet, or if we move, if we leave, if we change churches, which is allowed, <laughs> that we would do so with purpose. And this is kind of a reference to the, what I'll call the scattered others who are mentioned in here. Peppered through this text are other people and where they are, a bunch of different places. And they're all known to Paul and Timothy. They're talking, you know, Paul's writing to Timothy, and Timothy knows who all these people are. We don't, but they do. And they're these partners in the gospel. And when you gather up all these names of the people here, you get this picture of the spread of the gospel throughout the world, which is necessary. It's important. And so you get things like this. You get Crescens from Galatia and Titus from Dalmatia and Tychius on his way to Ephesus and Carpus and Troas and Erastus in Corinth and Trophimus in Miletus. And what we get when we start to see that picture is we see that there are these people who are in the process of living out the gospel and taking the gospel into all these different places in the world. And it would be by ministries like people of people like these that would end up bringing the gospel to a place like this here. That people were, were obedient to the Lord's leading and they went out and the Lord worked to make his name known throughout the world. We're called to be in community and we should regard ourselves as being called to be in community. And we're in a time where it's easy to just kind of jump to jump from one community to another, to not stay put anywhere very long. And people come and they go, and we wonder, why should I spend the emotional energy investing in building relationships if they're just going to end? We have a purpose in this world to bear witness to Christ. And this message takes a community of faith to do well. 
It's one of the reasons why we have city groups is because we're not just trying to have each person go serve some other person, but to really kind of think, how can we as a community serve our community at large? I want to conclude with some words from Dietrich Bonhoeffer from his, word, his book, Life Together, where he says this. I love this. He says, Christendom is a scattered people, like seed into all the kingdoms of the earth. And then he says, God's people remain scattered, held together solely in Jesus Christ, having become one in the fact that dispersed among unbelievers, they remember him in the far countries. So, he says, between the death of Christ and the last day, which is when we live now, it is only by a gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live invisible fellowship with other Christians. It is a privilege to live in Christian community. It's a gift. And so I pray that we would be an honoring reflection of our Lord Jesus Christ in how we love and in how we live together, always growing and always serving with the best that we have and always studying his word together and always pursuing maturity, always pursuing usefulness, with one another, always invested in kingdom work together, passionate to serve and glorify Christ, our Lord and our head, as one. That's my, those are my prayers for us as a church. Let me pray. Father, as we, as I, as I offer these considerations, these prayers for our congregation, I do so in a time that I am very well aware is a busy season, uh, where school is underway and we're starting things and, and uh, we look at the calendar and the weekends ahead and it's hard to find one where there's not stuff going on. And, uh, and Lord, at the same time, as the writer Annie Dillard said, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to remember that there is a, a steadiness to walking the Christian life, a one day after the other of following you in faithful community. And Lord, help us to do that well. Help us to serve our neighbors well, or serve our church well, be in community with one another well, worship you well as a body together. May we be a source of encouragement and strength to one another. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.